All right. Well, good morning and welcome. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen and amen. Hey, we're really glad you are here today uh, with us to worship our risen Lord. If uh, you're a first timer with us today, there's a card that looks like this in the pew in front of you. We call it a connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out. Let us know that you've been with us, ways that we can connect with you, ways that we can pray for you uh, this week. If you uh, would like to fill that out, you can drop it in the offering box, which is in the back in the foyer by the Welcome Center. And we'll be glad to connect uh, with you. Also, in the, uh, in the foyer is a table of mugs. You may have seen them as you came in. Not quite an Easter basket, but it's the best that we're going to do today. It, has, it does have candy in it and one of our church pens, so uh, feel free to grab one of those on your way out this morning as a little gift from us uh, to you. Uh, ways you can remember our church, remember to pray for us, and uh, may God be glorified in all of that. Well, we are thankful uh, that you are here. There is, a, uh, there is an announcement paper on the Welcome Center if you want to hear about some of the stuff going on at, at our church. We're not going to go through that this morning. Uh, we're excited to be gathered today to, to worship uh, Jesus. So at this time, Pastor Chris is going to come and read our call to worship. Would you stand with me, please? Our call to worship this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, starting in verse 1. It reads this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. This is the word of the Lord. Let's sing together, Christ the Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Raise your joys 
to God in heaven, we come today just um, rejoicing with uh, the remembrance that, that Jesus rose and is not in the tomb any longer. We thank you, Lord, for the payment for sin that he made and was accepted for all of us. And we just rejoice in, in that, um, that fact, that hope, that, that blessing that we have this morning. We pray, Lord, um, for the events of today that we would just be focused on you, on, on um, the celebration of, of the risen Savior and uh, of just worshiping the, the God who has purchased salvation for all of us. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we go out from here through this coming week, that we would just be reminded, we would be energized, we would just be ready to shine like witnesses and lights for you in our surrounding world, and that you would just be truly honored and glorified through all the events of today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's continue in worshiping our Lord and risen Savior. 216, Christ arose. After Jesus died, 
They put Jesus in a tomb. And wrapped him with some white paper. They put a big stone around it and placed guards in front of the tomb to let nobody go in. He was just waiting for the three days. He's probably drinking soda while eating hot Tito's. <laughs> he would probably play games like Candyland and then have a party by himself. <laughs> the okay. Easter Bunny was hiding behind a tree. <laughs> he probably went out there and there's just throw eggs everywhere. And then he's going to say, there's one money egg, so you better find it. You can get some money. Three days later, there was a big earthquake. <laughs> I think we should go away somewhere safe. It's like, I'm getting out of here. The earth is shaking. Run for your lives. <laughs> and the guards ran off because they got scared. And then on Sunday, Mary and some of her friends came with some spices. But when they got there, the tomb was empty. His clothes only was there. Then an angel came and said, Don't be afraid. Jesus has risen from the dead. Go tell the go tell everyone. Go tell the good news. Mary and her friends went and told the disciples. She said, Jesus has risen from the dead. Guys, guys, Jesus has risen from the dead. And the disciples didn't believe them. No! That couldn't happen. Jesus can't raise from the dead. Uh, I don't believe it until I see it. But all of a sudden, Jesus, Jesus just came, just was there. I am Jesus. I am the. I'm the. I am the Son of the Lord God, and I am Jesus, your friend. And then the disciples said, "Jesus, it's you!" Totes cool. Jesus, before he left to heaven, he said, I have done what I have came to done. Do. And then he risen, then he was going up to heaven. His disciples were crowded around him. The disciples said, Holy guacamole! I can't believe Jesus really flew. That's awesome. Now what? Let's go tell the news. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing, It Was Finished Upon That Cross. How I love the voice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He declares his work is finished. Has spoken this all to me. Though the sun had ceased its shining, though the war appeared as lost, Christ has triumphed over evil. It was finished upon that cross. Jesus paid the price for me, full upon 
just righteousness there is no more guilt to carry it was finished upon that cross death was one had a hold on me, but the Son who died to save us rose that we would be free indeed. Death was once my great opponent, fear once had a Son who died to save us, rose that we would be free indeed. Yes, He rose that we would be free indeed. Free from every plan of darkness, free to live and free to love. Death is dead and Christ is risen. It was finished upon that cross. Savior and my God, I rejoice in Jesus' victory. It was finished upon that cross. It was finished upon that cross. It was finished upon that cross. Amen. Would you remain standing as we read God's word? Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered, I delivered to you as of a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that, we, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Amen and welcome again. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I was saying to my wife um, just yesterday, preaching Easter is similar to preaching Christmas. You feel like you kind of say the same thing every year and you kind of preach for some of the same passages every year. But it's uh, preaching from uh, preaching Luke 2 at Christmas, which seems obvious because that's the birth story. In a similar way, preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is, uh, seems obvious when, it, when we're speaking about the resurrection. Uh, chapter 15 of Paul's letter to the Corinthians uh, is all about resurrection. That is the, the topic of the entire chapter. The chapter is some 50-some verses long, 58 verses uh, in length. Now, at this point in church history, uh, verses 3 and 4, which you just heard read for you, were, were serving or may have served as somewhat of a, a church creed that Christ 
had died, he was buried, and he rose again, all in accordance with the scriptures. That would have been known in, in the early church, that would have been proclaimed in the early church. And yet one of the criticisms of, of the Bible and of Christianity is that, uh, that it and the resurrection are, are a made-up story. Maybe you've heard someone make that uh, claim to you or accusation that it's all made up, that someone kind of uh, dreamed up these stories and they wrote them all down or, or they're so old, who, who knows if they're accurate by this point? Who, who knows if it's even, any of it is even, even true to begin with? Well, skeptics, uh, we know, are not new, particularly skepticism of the resurrection itself. Uh, during the time of Jesus, there was a religious group known as the Sadducees who did not believe in resurrection at all. Not, not, the, not only not the resurrection of the coming Jesus at that point, but no resurrection for anybody. No, no human resurrection at the end of the age, nothing. Um, they weren't alone, though, right? As time has marched on, those who are more antagonistic to Christianity are those who, who want to uh, find reasons to refuse to believe the resurrection. Uh, they want to be skeptical. They want to try to poke holes in, in the resurrection to see it as no more than a myth or a fairy tale. The events of Jesus' death and burial uh, are not typically disputed. Most people, even if they don't believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they would recognize that Jesus was a, a historical figure who lived and who died. But the resurrection can be a sticking point, and it has been a sticking point over the years. I had a, a friend from high school who, who wanted to believe in Jesus, who believed many things about Jesus, but had a very difficult time accepting the resurrection. This miraculous event that someone who was dead rose three days later. If you're not growing up in the church, or if you have a little bit of skepticism in you naturally, it's kind of a crazy story, if we just are honest with the story by itself. He understood that there was a, a fundamental part of Christianity that demanded, demanded that the resurrection is true. He understood that, yet he found it too hard to believe. This is a, what we could call an a la carte theology, right? Where we might accept Jesus, we might accept his death, but we, we don't accept the resurrection. It's, it's as if the, the Bible is a, a loose leaf document where we'll take what we want to believe and leave what we do not want to believe. The only problem with that is that's not how this works. That's not how the Bible works. That's not how theology works. That's not ours to determine. But the, the, the resurrection is no small matter. In fact, to remove the, the, the resurrection, this pillar doctrine will result in the collapse of Christianity. Do you know, it's that central. It is that essential of, of a doctrine, of a belief, that Christianity as a whole would collapse if it's not true. Now, some have tried to come up with alternative theories, ideas, or hypotheses related to what could have happened instead of the resurrection. Uh, one is the, the, a conspiracy theory. We're, we're, we're good for a good co conspiracy theory these days, right? So th this is nothing new about conspiracy theories, by the way, right? We have one here. We have one actually in the book of Matthew chapter 28. When, when Jesus is, is, is raised and his body can't be found, the authorities uh, pay off the guards and say, let, let, let's, let's make up a story. And here's the story. 
His disciples stole the body. That's what happened. And so that was the story they went with. That was the theory. The conspiracy theory is the disciples stole the body. So he didn't actually rise from the dead. His body was just stolen. But the question still remains, where's the body? If they stole it, where did it go? Right? Another theory is, uh, they call this the hallucination theory. This suggests that the disciples, due to their grief, they were grief-stricken, and they only imagined that they saw the resurrected Jesus. Uh, You might say, well, maybe that's plausible. Sometimes we think we see things that we don't actually see, right? That's happened a time or two, I'm sure. But did it happen to 11 people all at once? Did it happen to 500 people all at once? Did it happen to all of the apostles? We, we start to question when we learn about how many eyewitnesses there were, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, a third conspiracy is that he wasn't really dead. Maybe you've heard this one before. This suggests that, that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. What happened was that, that he, uh, he went unconscious. He swooned, if you will, and he was then buried. And he then awoke at a later time. Um, this is to suggest that professional Roman executors were that bad at their job, that they didn't actually do the job. They didn't actually kill him, that somehow he survived. But even if he did survive, what, what, what next? Like, let's think it through, right? What happens next? He revives in the tomb. Okay, he revives in the tomb. And then he escapes? He escapes from the tomb. He escapes with wounds and lacerations that separated his skin from his body. He escapes with holes in his hands and his feet, deep cuts in his head, a hole in his side, and his, his bones out of joints. He just pushed open the, 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 the tomb. He just walked past the soldiers. He, he was seen by Mary, but apparently she thought this bloody mess was the gardener. He went on a walk with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and in his crucified appearance, they didn't know that it was him. He cooked fish for the disciples on the shore, and somehow he made it into a locked room before ascending to heaven. Like, what, what are we talking about here? If, if this isn't ridiculous, if, if one is to think that the resurrection is ridiculous, how much more a theory such as this? Other theories are the, the wrong tomb hypothesis, that the women went to the wrong tomb, and so they went to the wrong tomb, found it empty, and proclaimed that he had risen. Another is the displaced body hypothesis. Very few people believe this one. But that Joseph of Arimathea placed Jesus' body in his own tomb, which is what the scriptures record, but then later moved the body to a criminal's uh, graveyard. The disciples were unaware that he had done that, and so they went to the tomb, found it empty, and wrongly inferred that that meant that Jesus had risen from the dead. Okay, again, the question still remains, where's the body? Where's the body? In all of these, all of these theories, the question still remains, the tomb is empty, and where is the body? As you hear those theories, you, you actually could conclude that it would require a fair amount of faith to believe those theories. People want to suggest that the resurrection requires faith, and it does. But how much do these require faith as well? But if Jesus was not resurrected, we must ask ourselves also, why did the disciples say that he was? 
why would that be their made-up story, right? If it's a cover-up, why would they cover up with resurrection? Now, you might say, well, didn't Jesus say that he was going to be resurrected? Isn't that why they went with the cover-up, if they went with a cover-up at all? But as we read through the Gospels, we actually find that the disciples were very slow to believe Jesus. In fact, three times in the book of Mark, we looked at this in the past few months, three times when Jesus says, I'm going to die and rise again, they're like, I don't understand what you're saying. Right? I, I'm, I'm going to suffer. I don't understand what you're saying. Their vision of a Messiah was not a suffering Messiah. It was not a Messiah who would die and rise again. That was not their vision of Messiah. So why would they go with that story? Why would they go with that story? Unless, of course, it was true. Unless, of course, that's actually what happened. That it was the literal bodily resurrection that happened in which makes the most sense anyways. Now, I would just want to make a side note and say this. Honest questions about the Bible and about Jesus and about the resurrection are welcomed. You may say, I, I, I kind of struggle with some of these things. That's okay. God's big enough for your, your questions. This is not a shut up and believe it. This is a, let, let, let's, let's talk about it. Let's understand what the Bible is claiming and let's think about what the evidence is. There's good evidence for what we believe. And Paul actually points to some of that very evidence here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you look at verse five, after he gives the, the gospel in a nutshell, after he says that Christ died, he was buried, he rose again, he then goes on to say, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of them who, uh, who are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So he lists out all these people who had seen Jesus, who had seen the risen Christ. By listing the names, Paul was saying that there were eyewitnesses to this event. And if you don't believe me, go talk to them. Because many of them are still alive. And they'll tell you about what had happened. They'll, they'll validate or they'll confirm what I am saying. Now, some people think that the Gospels, uh, maybe because they're at the beginning of the New Testament, were the, the first uh, the first to, to record the resurrection. But that's actually not true. The Apostle Paul was the first to, to record the resurrection here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is dated at somewhere between 50, 53 to 55 AD, which puts it somewhere 20, about 20 years after Jesus died. Only 20 years. Now, most of us in here can think of 20 years ago, and you think like that's yesterday, right? Time, time starts to move very quickly as we age, right? So 20 years isn't that long. And the point that's being made here is that there are people who would have been there to validate what had happened. His writing was recent enough to be disputed if it were untrue. But here is the truth that Jesus did in fact die, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And not only is Paul making the case that that's true, Paul goes on to make the case of why it even matters. Why does it matter? Meaning, if Christ is not raised, what then? What are the consequences of no resurrection? 
That's what we're going to spend our time here this morning on, looking at verses 12 and following. Paul begins this section with a, a broader premise of no bodily re- resurrection at all, if that were true. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. So he first states, some of you don't think there's ever going to be a resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, then Jesus wasn't resurrected either. You you can't have it both ways. You can't have Jesus rise and people rise, or vice versa. Either there is a resurrection or there's not a resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, then Jesus isn't raised either. And here's the problem. And he goes on in verses 14 and following to give us, and we'll look at uh, six ways in which the consequences for Jesus not being raised. Now, before we get there, let me, let's just say this. There, there are a lot of areas in which, in the Bible, in theology, we can agree to disagree. We could say, okay, you can have your interpretation of that. Uh, that, that seems plausible based on the, the, the scriptures. Uh, there are some things we can agree to disagree. The resurrection is not one of those things. The resurrection would be called a non-negotiable. There are things, some of the language we use around here, there are things that we hold in a closed hand and things that we hold in an open hand, which means good people can disagree on certain things, things like spiritual gifts or even how exactly the end times are going to roll around, right? But there are essential things that we cannot, we cannot and will not give in on. Things like the deity of Jesus, things like salvation by faith through grace, salvation in in the resurrection of Jesus, the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is a non-negotiable. It is a deal breaker. For if the resurrection of Jesus did not occur, there are real issues for us today. If it's untrue, there are real problems. It's not like just saying, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. You can't conclude that. You can't go out of here today saying, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't happen. No, no, no. That's not an option. Either it did or it didn't. And if it didn't, there are major consequences of it. Actually, catastrophic consequences of it. First, if Christ has not been raised, number one, preaching would be in vain. Look at verse 14. Then our preaching is in vain. Well, what's the preaching? The preaching is the gospel. Verses 3 and 4 that Paul had just said. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures. If, if Jesus did not rise again, then that's in vain. That, that is empty. It is unreal. It is useless. This gospel, this gospel of, of, of what Christ has done. Listen to Romans chapter 1 verse 1. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That gospel, that gospel will be preached in vain. That gospel that Jesus Christ has come to die for our sins, to be raised for our justification, that gospel would be useless. Preaching would be hopeless as it could not do what it was trying to do. There would be no good news. That's what gospel means, by the way, good news. There would be none of it. The preaching would have no power. There would be no victory. There'd be nothing to hold on to, which brings us to our second consequence, that our faith would be in vain, verse 14. We also see this in verse 17. 
If the preaching is false, then faith must be false. Faith must be worthless and well. R.C. Sproul writes this, there is no Christian faith without the resurrection. There is no Christian faith without the resurrection. People sometimes say, I have faith in something. Well, when we talk about faith in, in, in the Christian uh, worldview, we're talking about faith in someone. Not just faith generally, faith in the work of Christ. And if that did not happen, our faith is useless. There's no confidence. With no resurrection, there is no place for faith. Thirdly, verse 15 says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Jesus, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. Thirdly, preachers are those, uh, or, or those witnesses that witness of his resurrection would be liars. Any preaching would, would be, whether they thought they were lying or not, would be misleading, misrepresenting. Not only, not only those people, but Jesus would be a liar. What did Jesus say about himself in John chapter 11? I am the resurrection and the life. And if he's dead, if he's still in a tomb, then he is a liar. It's a consequence of no resurrection. Verse 17 says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. All people would still be in their sins. If Christ has not been raised, not only is your faith empty, but you and I are still under the condemnation of our sins. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin or the payment of sin is death. Without the resurrection, we still would incur the wages of sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 would not be true. That says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No peace. No peace. We're still in our sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 would not be true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There would become condemnation. That's all that there would be. There would be no resurrection. There would be no justification. There would be no forgiveness of sins. There would be no salvation. We would still be in our sins, bearing the, the penalty and the power of those sins. Therefore, verse 18, those who also, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The fifth consequence is that, that all believers who die would perish. What do we mean by perish? Well, first of all, falling asleep means to die. To perish means death. It means condemnation. It means hell. It means those people who believed in Jesus in this life aren't going to be with him. If he didn't rise from the dead, they're going to hell. This would mean John 3.16 is false. This is for God's love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. That's only possible if Jesus actually raises rises from the dead. Number six, if Jesus, excuse me, if Christians perish after death, then verse 19 says that they are miserable. All Christians would be pitiable. Verse 19 actually reads like this. If Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Who's the we? Well, immediately it's Paul and his companions who have suffered for the sake of the gospel. 
And by implication, it's, it's any of us who believe in this Jesus and who have oriented our life around him. Paul writes that if, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if our hope is only in the life that we have now, then we're living for something that's not going to be. We're sacrificing our life now. We're giving, we're, we're surrendering, we're resisting. We are, we are sacrificing for no good reason in what a miserable life that would be. The Christian life is one of suffering with the hope of heaven. But if Christ is not risen, then this life is to be pitied. Christians are to be pitied. One pastor has said it this way, if Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. But if Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive. What Paul seems to be doing here in 1 Corinthians 15 is he's making the argument from the negative implications. Right? If, he is, if he's dead, then this is what would be true. This would, would, would be a desperate situation. But Paul doesn't stop there, thanks be to God. He doesn't stop there. He tells us all the consequences of, of what it would mean if there is no resurrection. But if Christ isn't risen, what would that mean? That would mean there's no salvation. I mean, there's no hope. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to speak about the reality of the resurrection and its effects. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Those are beautiful words, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. Because Jesus lives, those who are in Christ will one day rise too. Because he is alive, we know that death is not the end. Because he was raised, the gospel message is true. Our faith is fruitful. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Believers who sleep with or in Christ indeed are with Christ. And our hope is not only in this life, but in the next. Praise God that Jesus is alive. There is eternal life and there is hope. If Christ is risen, then everything has changed. You know that? Everything has changed. Death no longer has the last word. Christians, we, we, we know this, right? We know this. At the death of someone who knows Christ, we sorrow, but we sorrow with hope because we know it's not the end. We know that because Christ has risen, we too will rise. The sting of death has been removed. We are no longer in bondage to sin. In Christ, we are free, free to live, not for ourselves, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but for him who for our sake died and rose again. He is risen, and this is, this is the greatest news that you will hear. And I just want to ask, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it as the greatest news? Do you see it as the news that changes everything? 
There might be some here this morning that are, that are struggling, and maybe you've, you've doubted uh, Jesus. You've doubted his work. You've doubted the resurrection. But let me just say that even if you're skeptical, you should want this to be true. The resurrection is so important that you should want it to be true. Why? Because without the resurrection, there's no hope. We have a lot of people who are, who are very concerned about loving everyone and being kind. Well, upon what basis? There's a lot of interest in mercy and injustice. But upon what foundation do you have mercy and justice if Christ has not been risen? Where do you think mercy and justice come from? What is the basis for such things? Without the resurrection, there is none of it. There is no hope. There is no peace. There is no justice. There is no mercy. There is no future. There is no kingdom. There is no eternal life. You should want this to be true. But more than wanting it to be true, it is true. And because it's true, there is hope. There is justice, there is mercy, there is peace, there is a kingdom, there is a future, there is eternal life that is available through what Christ has done. Look again at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The Bible offers two descriptions for mankind. We are either what the Bible calls in Adam or in Christ. We were all born in Adam. We are all naturally in Adam. That is to say, we are in our sins. We are separated from God. We are east of Eden. But to be in Christ means that we shall be made alive. In Adam, we all die. In Christ, we shall be made alive. You see, this resurrection that we talk about in the implications for us are only, the positive implications are only for those who are in Christ. For those who are in Adam, you are still in your sins. There is no hope. So I ask, which are you? Are you in Adam? Are you in your sins? Or are you in Christ? Are you forgiven? Do you have union with Jesus? Are you a child of God? You might say, I don't know. How could I know? Well, hear the words of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, that says simply this. For in Christ, you are all sons of God. How? Through faith. If you want to know if you're in Christ today, the question is, have you come to God? Through faith in Christ. That's how you can know if you're in Christ. Have you come to God through faith in Christ? That's the only way. That's the only way to be made right with God. That's the only way to have the fellowship with the Father. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, faith is a gift. We didn't conjure up faith on our own. Some people think they believed on Jesus. How did you believe on Jesus? God gave you the faith to believe on Jesus. It's all grace. It's all grace all the time. 
Yes, you respond in faith, but you only respond in faith because God gives you the faith to believe. Have you come to God through faith in Christ? If you have not, today's the day. What a great day. The resurrection of Jesus. To see him as the savior you need. To see him as the one who was crucified for your sins, who was buried and three days later rose again in order that you and I might escape death. Jesus isn't just being nice here. He is dealing with our greatest need to be made right with God. So we invite you this morning, come. Come to him. Come and repent. Come and believe and then rejoice Rejoice with us that Christ is risen and that one day soon we too will rise when he returns. And we say with the Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to rejoice today in the work of Jesus, giving thanks for what he has done for us. Christ has died. Christ was buried Christ rose again, all in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with your will, for the joy that was set before him, for the glory of God and the good of his people. For those of us who know Jesus this morning, would you make our hearts glad again for the work of Jesus on our behalf? Would we remember again that work and the implications and the impact into our life today and in the days to come? For those who are with us who don't know Jesus, maybe this is their first time with us. Maybe they've heard the story before, but they've yet to believe. God, would you give them faith to believe? Would you give them eyes to see Jesus, to see him as the Savior, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the one who demonstrated God's love for them by dying for them, taking their death, taking on the penalty of their sin, And in response, would you give them faith to believe, repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Christ, in Christ alone. As we sit here this morning, just want to take a moment. If you need to do business with God, if you need to repent this morning, we invite you to do that before we sing. If you need to cry out to the Lord this morning for salvation, you can do that. The the words are not magical you can say what, what was on your heart to say to, to God. It can be simple as saying, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that Jesus is the Savior I need. I repent of my sins. And I place my faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone for salvation. Please save me. The scriptures tell us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But whosoever would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ would be saved. You would do that this morning. God will hear that prayer. Father, hear those prayers, we pray. May you help us even now in these moments to rejoice together in the work of Jesus, his resurrection for your glory and our good. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing about our hope, Jesus, and life and death?
is our hope in life and death. Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand. What comes apart from His command, and what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal, oh, sing. truth can calm the troubled soul god is good god is good where is his grace and goodness known in our great redeemer's blood who holds our faith when fears arise who stands above the stormy trial sends us waste that bring us nigh unto the shore the rock of Christ oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing Christ our hope in life and death Unto the grave what shall we sing Christ he lives Christ he lives Amen And what reward will heaven bring Everlasting there we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal oh sing hallelujah now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death and oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing Christ our hope in life and death. Amen. Would you remain standing as we have one last scripture reading? 
comes from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the word of the Lord. Would you stand with me still and sing, O praise the name. Oh Lord, oh Lord, I 
this morning based on 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. And now as we go from here, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all until the day of Christ's return. Amen and amen. Thank you for coming today. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.